This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Friday, March 3rd. In terms of weather, we got a storm coming our way, as much as 15 to 25 centimeters, depending on where you are. This is expected to start late this afternoon. Here are the five things you need to know. Well, obviously, one, a winter storm could bring as much as 30 centimeters of snow to the GTA. Number two, Nordstrom pulling the plug in Canada. Number three, a criminal trial comes to a halt due to a missing police signature. Number four, more borrowers are finding themselves underwater. And number five, Blue Jays are retiring the home run jacket. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.08 in the morning on this Friday, March 3rd. It's minus four degrees outside. And the big story today would actually be something that's coming down the pipe. And that would be, as Ashley Legasic was reporting, a winter storm, which stands to, if it lives up to the predictions, stands to be the biggest storm we've had this winter. And the craziness in all of it will be that you know, by Monday, it'll be completely forgotten and probably fully melted, but it's going to be something to deal with in all likelihood by this afternoon in terms of the drive home and tomorrow morning. However, um, we can all appreciate tomorrow is not a work day for most people. So maybe you got to get the kids to some swimming lesson, lessons or you had a plan to go visit the grandparents, but that sort of stuff can come off the table and we can wait this out. So we have a winter storm warning in effect for the GTA, um, and it's going to seem remarkably familiar. We've already had two storms along the same timeline, roughly, where the snow, snow started to intensify late in the afternoon, like 4.35, 5.30, and then it came down during the evening hours, so last dog walk of the day. And then by morning, you woke up, looked out the window and thought, okay, great. I got to shovel that. I got to clean that off the car. Super. However, as mentioned, this time, tomorrow being Saturday, I don't know. I mean, we're not going to be here tomorrow morning to uh, tell you that there's some sort of a crisis out there. So, you know, we can, we can adjust our plans, I think. Uh, the snow apparently is going to come down at some points as quickly as four centimeters an hour. So it's going to be one of those storms where there is no way that during the snowfall, the snow crews can keep up. They'll try to clear things, but, you know, within 20 minutes, there'll be another two centimeters of snow where the plow just passed. And so eventually, when, you know, once it comes off the table tomorrow morning, and we're going to get a much better timeline on all of this from... Uh, Bill Coulter, meteorologist at CP24. He's going to be one of our guests this morning to give us a, a timeline on all of this. But when it does end, then, you know, clearly the plows are going to take their final pass and uh, things are going to be in a much better position. Tomorrow's high, though, is three degrees above zero. So, you know, and, and I'm sure you've noticed that the sun is just that much brighter and that much higher in on the horizon and that much more warming. So, for example, yesterday, I'd have to go back through the record to see how we topped out in terms of temperature yesterday, but by day's end, most of the pavement was dry. It's the kind of things you notice when you're walking a dog that is only four inches off the ground. 
um, you know, as soon as it's dry outside and the dog does not become a dirty, soppy, wet mess when you take him for a walk, you, you treasure these moments. And so, yeah, by tomorrow afternoon at five, who knows what is still going to be on the ground. Uh, however, we'll keep our eyes on that. Traffic desk is going to be on top of it. And as soon as the intense stuff starts to arrive, uh, we'll be able to let you know where it is and what's happening. But it's, like I said, it's going to be a bit like the last two storms where maybe you want to head out early. And any excuse, right? If, you know, if you can tell you about, I got to get home. I, I, I got to leave early today. You know, it's three o'clock, but I'm out of here because I need to avoid the storm. I need to get home. All right, bring it on. So the Nordstrom story is an interesting one, isn't it? Because uh, Nordstrom only got to Canada in 2012. I have to say, as a guy who likes the occasional flourish of fashion, that I shopped at Nordstrom a few times, but it was not a habit. And part of that is, first of all, just, you know, I, I guess the brand... I, I could never quite put my finger on what it is what, that Nordstrom was offering that I necessarily needed. But also, thanks to COVID, I got, I've, I've come to the point where I buy stuff online that pre-COVID I never would have bought, like shoes. You know, w would you buy a pair of shoes without going to the store and trying them on? I have probably done that a half dozen times since the beginning of COVID. So the necessity for Nordstrom was never clearly evident. And I sort of compare the, the announcement that Nordstrom is pulling the plug on Canada to the announcement that a TV show that people aren't watching anymore is going to be canceled. It's sort of like, okay, if people, if Canadians loved Nordstrom, if Canadians cared about Nordstrom pulling the plug on Canada, they would have shopped at Nordstrom. However, it's an economic story. It's a retail story. Preet Banerjee is going to be here at 535 to talk about this and a couple of other issues. Uh, it's 2,500 jobs. There are six Nordstrom outlets in Canada, including a couple in Toronto, seven Nordstrom rack stores in Canada. And uh, they're pulling the pin. And the greater question, I guess, would be, you know, first of all, the future of retail. Second of all, Nordstrom's an anchor tenant at the Eaton Center. And I think it's Yorkdale, or is it Sherway? Uh, they're, yeah, they're Yorkdale and Sherway Gardens in Toronto. So that's a lot of square footage that is coming up. And I would imagine at the Eaton Center, at the very least, that they're just going to have to reconfigure it because I don't think there's another major retailer coming in to take over that amount of square footage. Story we're going to be talking about in greater detail in just a moment when we hook up with our friends at CP24, the TV station, would be the story of an 18-year-old from Caledon who was killed in a head-on collision where police found that the other driver was criminally responsible, or at the very least, that accusation was made. And like I said, I'll explain it in greater detail in just a moment when we hook up with our friends, but one missing signature on one report is how this has all come undone. And if you fold this into a couple of other stories we've talked about on the show in the last couple of months, where, for example, Toronto Police Service failed to send 
the evidence to um, to the Crown Prosecutor in time, and a couple of criminal cases have come undone over that, you start to wonder, like, okay, you could have the great, greatest law enforcement of the world, you can have investigations, you could all that stuff, but if somebody's not doing the paperwork, you don't get any results. All right, time for what Toronto is talking about with News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, always great to see you. Happy Friday. So this is pretty much uh, starting with a continuation of Bill's weather forecast. Major winter snowstorm on its way, and it's set to hit around 5, 6 p.m. today. Yeah, I don't want to repeat everything Bill just had to say, and he's going to be guesting on our show at News Talk 1010 today to map things out. But this storm is going to seem oddly familiar, I think, to an awful lot of people because it's hitting in the late afternoon. The most intense part is during the evening and overnight, and then you wake up in the morning and say, how much do I have to clear off the car? The bonus here is, while the drive home this afternoon may be perturbed, uh, a lot of people don't have to get up and go anywhere tomorrow if they don't want to. So I think we'll be able to endure. But isn't it interesting? This is possibly the last, you know, knock on wood mm. snowstorm of the year, and it's probably going to be the biggest. Mm. Yeah, apparently Bill just told me, John, nope, next Saturday, another one's coming, so not the last no of way. it. Yeah, that's what he just said. All right, turning now to this, some pretty shocking retail news. Uh, Nordstrom announcing that it's closing all uh, 13 of its Canadian stores and cutting 2,500 jobs in that process. And I think that's the big takeaway here is 2,500 people are out looking for work because if people really cared about the Nordstrom brand, they would be shopping at Nordstrom and Nordstrom wouldn't be pulling the plug on Canada. But it's just the latest American retailer to pull out of Canada. Six Nordstroms and seven rack stores in Canada are all closing, and that includes some pretty prominent retail outlets right here in the city of Toronto. All part of the changing matrix. You know, it's everything from the brand of the retailer itself to the fact that more and more people are shopping online and don't really care about the retailer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and some business analysts saying that perhaps the Canadian market isn't enough to sustain a lot of these, you know, big American department mm -hmm. luxury chain stores. All right, and uh, th this case is is uh, very, I don't know if you call it disturbing or kind of shocking, but uh, a father of a teen, I believe the teen was killed in a careless driving uh, incident, is is pretty much very upset that the case has kind of fallen apart because the officer's signature was missing. This is the latest police case, or court case, I should say, in the province of Ontario that has come undone because of paperwork, effectively. Mm -hmm. We have a young fellow, Caledon teenager Milo Yekmalian, who was killed May 17, 2022, in an alleged careless driving incident where he was hit by another vehicle head-on. And as you said, the undoing of this case comes down to the fact that one document was not signed by the investigating police officer, and as a result of that, just paper paperwork. This case has come undone and the father is grieving the loss of his 18-year-old son and the fact that justice is not going to be visited in the case. Yeah, I just can't imagine what that's like. Okay, turning to this now, uh, the AGO has plans for a major 40,000 square foot expansion. That's because they're getting some new money. They are. This is probably going to cost about $100 million. A major portion of that is coming from a very generous donor. $35 million from Dana, uh, Danny Reese, and it'll be the Danny Reese Modern and Contemporary Gallery. But it's exciting news in our city. You know, one of the things that I always get very animated about is how many attractions do you have in a given city that people would be interested in visiting if they came to visit your city? And now in Toronto, I mean, I could give you this whole shopping list, but we're up mm -hmm. to about 
about a dozen places that somebody would want to visit. So it's part of the cultural scene in our city, and 40,000 new square feet for art in Toronto is exciting. Yeah, that's a lot more space, and I'm sure art fans are loving that. All right, John, we'll finish with this one, which I find interesting. The Blue Jays are ditching that home run jacket this season. I guess, you know, they want to celebrate more than just home runs. You would have seen it all through the 2021 season and then 2022, but in 2023, there is not going to be the home run jacket. And you know what? I think probably retiring the home run jacket isn't a bad idea. I have really enjoyed sort of the joyousness of the Blue Jays, in particular Vladimir Guerrero mm -hmm. Jr. and his exuberance. But at the same time, sometimes you can goof around just a little bit too much and maybe you got to get back to baseball. Yeah, time to focus on the game a little more, I guess is what they're saying. All right. News Talk 1010's John Moore. Hey, John, have a great, safe, happy weekend. We'll chat with you next week. Take you care. Too. That's Jennifer Shang over at CP24. And if you have any thoughts on any of the stories we've talked about so far, you can always text us at uh, 71010. I found myself, I was going to say oddly captivated, so I will say oddly captivated by spring training baseball or preseason baseball last weekend. I don't normally follow the Blue Jays unless they're winning. And I was just sitting in a sports bar and I was watching them and I thought, this is just so much fun. But I also have to say, as Jennifer and I were just discussing, I'm not gonna mourn the passing of the home run jacket. As much fun as it was, you know, everything has its time. And so the fact that they've decided to get a little bit serious about things and to set aside the home run jacket, it's uh, okay, we'll, we'll bring it on. Well, the thing is that uh, other teams followed suit with different ways to celebrate home runs. I think the Baltimore Orioles had this big honking, make-believe gold chain, and right. um, some other team had a big fist or something. So everyone had their own version of what was the home run jacket to celebrate the home run. I guess it's a bit like, you know, individual football players have their ways of celebrating a touchdown. And after a while, it's like, okay, dude. It's just a game, and it's just this game, and it's not about you, so let's let's keep moving. But I have been grooving on the Blue Jays over the last couple of years, and as I was saying, the sort of level of excitement and exuberance and youthful silliness, but I guess it's time to kind of sober up. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. It's a sweet, sweet Friday! You're listening to More in the Morning on News Talk 1010, Toronto. It is a sweet, sweet Friday, except it's going to be a snowy, snowy Friday night. But, um, you know, hey, it's winter, so snow's going to happen. However, in some models, they're looking at the possibility of 30 centimeters of snow. All depends on where you are. If you're in one of those belts where they get more snow than we traditionally forecast, you already know about that stuff. Uh, but again, the timeline, I think, is essential, and it starts late this afternoon. We'll get a better fix on that when we talk with Bill Coulter, meteorologist from CP24. And uh, then you can make your plans or unmake your plans, all depending on the weather. And I can't believe when we were talking with CP24 in the last half hour, Bill was chirping in the background, as he often does, because he mostly wants to mock my golf game because we golf together. Um, but he was saying this is not actually going to be the last storm of the year, that there's more snow in the forecast next week.
5.37 is the time, and Preet Banerjee, join us. Uh, Preet Banerjee's website, moneygaps.com. He's a personal finance expert, and uh, we often turn to him to explain stories in the business world and the personal finance world. Preet, good morning. Good morning, sir. Okay, let's actually start with one of the things everybody's chattering about this morning. That's Nordstrom planning on pulling the plug in Canada. That's 2,500 jobs. It's six Nordstrom stores, seven Nordstrom rack stores. I think we have three of them in Toronto. And, well, I mean, I'll let you unpack the reasons why this hasn't worked out, because it's only the latest retailer, including Bed Bath & Beyond. And then, of course, mm -hmm. previous to that, we had... Um, uh, Target, which was a complete and utter bomb in Canada. So it just hasn't worked out for this American company. Yeah, Pier 1, J. Crew, I think Sam's Club as well. So I think one of the trends is there's a number of U.S. brands that we get really excited about coming to Canada. But then when they come here, they just don't seem to work out because in the eight I think just over eight years that Nordstrom has been in Canada, they've never turned a profit in any of those years. Wow. And so, you know, given that and the forecast for, you know, was it stagflation, struggling economy, things just not looking rosy, and eight years of not turning a profit, it seemed like it was a pretty simple decision for Nordstrom to say, all right, you know what, time to pack up shop and focus on our U.S. operations. I just don't really see the model for department stores anymore, to be perfectly honest. You know, I mean, I go to the Bay if I need socks and underwear, but uh, if I, you know, need a new jacket or whatever, I'll go to Adidas. And if I need a pair of shoes, I'll go to Brown's. I don't need to go on this big shopping experience in a department store anymore. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who order everything online and order four different things and plan on returning three. Yeah. So they try stuff at home and then return it. And so that, you know, changing preferences of how people shop has had a big impact. And one of the questions that people have is, well, what do we do with all this commercial real estate? And it looks like there's a lot of companies who are saying, well, let's just put in services like uh, optometrists and things where you can't get it done online. You have to go in dentists and whatnot. So there are actual companies that are just going up, buying a lot of these commercial properties and putting in services based uh, companies because this is a growing issue. Okay, there's another business story today, or finance story, and that would be the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce revealing that a fifth of mortgage borrowers are seeing their loan balances grow. Effectively, the amount that they're paying interest versus principal uh, has switched considerably. I'm sure this is true at all of the big banks in Canada. The one thing, and Preet, I'll you know, lean in on your expertise here. But I mean, I saw this story and I thought this is like reporting that Lake Ontario is warmer in summer. I mean, interest <laughs> rates went up. People are going to be underwater. Yeah. And but I think what we're missing here is just uh, we haven't really seen the exact proportion of people who are facing these issues. And it's not so much that interest rates have gone up and therefore people with, you know, variable rate mortgages, there's two types of variable rate mortgages. There's one where the payment stays the same, but the proportion of your payment that goes to the balance and to interest changes as interest rates go up. And then you have adjustable rate uh, mortgages where the payment goes up in lockstep with changes to the interest rate. But what's, what's worrying about this is that the interest rates have gone up so fast that not only has the balance shifted in terms of how much is going to interest, in some cases, more than 100% is 
of your payment is supposed to be going towards interest, meaning no balance is getting paid down. So that's really, really worrying because while there are some stopgap measures that you know lenders have put into place saying, all right, well, you know what, we'll allow you to maintain your monthly payment, but you're not even covering the interest you owe. Forget about the fact that you're not paying a penny towards the balance. You're not even covering the full interest you owe us. So the length of your mortgage is going to get longer. And when you renew it in a higher interest rate environment, those payments are going to balloon. And some households are going to see a change to their monthly payment by $1,000 or more easily. So this is a pretty worrying development. Now we see just the scope of this. It's, it is quite worrying. Okay, so where do you see it going? I mean, is, is does this contribute to the increased um, deflation of the real estate market in Canada? It remains to be seen. I think certainly there are pressures on that. Uh, I think a lot of lenders will come together and say, listen, we need to offer up some kind of relief because this is such a big problem that if we don't get ahead of it, it's going to create this positive feedback cycle where you have some people you know, uh, forced into selling their homes, and that increases selling pressure, people lose jobs, a lot of real estate related uh, industries would get affected. So I think a lot of lenders will probably come up with some kind of plan once they see just how bad this is. I think we have, you know, a few months to a year before we see people actually renewing into these markedly different interest rate um, mortgages. But they'll probably come up with something and I would suggest to anyone who has received those letters saying, hey, you've hit your trigger rate, uh, you better start running the numbers now and seeing what contingency plans you have for when that term is, is up and you have to make those decisions just in case whatever relief lenders are offering isn't good enough. Preet, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Preet Banerjee, if you like what you hear, you can learn more at his website, moneygaps.com. I, I'm quite mindful that this is an almost existential crisis for some Canadians because you face the prospect of not being able to afford the house that you bought. But at the same time, you know, there is a degree of jeopardy to taking out a mortgage. And if you don't provide yourself with the kind of margin to accommodate the fact that things aren't always going to be the same, then, you know, this is, as, as the Godfather says, these are the lives we live. And so, yeah, and if you're listening right now and you bought a house five years ago and you bet on the fact that we were going to have almost negative central bank rates for the next 10, 20 years, then that was a bad bet. Uh, mentioning, and we'll dig a little deeper into this on the other side because I want to get to traffic and weather uh, and the five things you need to know. But uh, Canadian monarchists are in a bit of a blind panic over the fact that Canada has no evident plans for King Charles coronation on the 6th of May. And so I've put that on the round table this morning because I think we're getting to a certain crunch point where people are just not excited enough about the monarchy that we want to actually spend any public money on it anymore. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. So King Charles is being crowned on the 6th of May. Joe Cristiano, who produces our show, and I were talking yesterday, what are we, how are we going to cover this? And then I realized it's on Saturday. So we're not going to cover it on our show. Uh, but we're definitely going to book up our royal correspondent, Corin Hall, so she can service all of the shows on Friday and maybe on Monday as well. I'm so bummed you turned down my idea, though. 
What was that? Driving out to London and broadcasting from London. Yes. I just, I thought that was a bit too FM radio. It was was a very 1980s thing to do. But uh, yeah, live from London, Ontario. It's Moore in the Morning. Say hello to CJBK, one of our sister stations, right? Well, who knows? Are they listening this morning? I mean, I know they they are a freestanding, you know, (laughs) independent radio station, but they do pick up our programming from time to time. Uh, So... Very quickly, the story here is that normally when a monarch is crowned, although how can you say normally? It hasn't happened since 1953. It's the first time we've crowned a British monarch and a monarch of Canada. I know he's the king of Canada. Um, It would be a national holiday and we would have street parties and there would be all kinds of exciting things going on. But monarchists have noted that there has not been a single signal from the national government that anything special is going to be happening in Canada. And here's the question I would put to you, and I'm going to put to the roundtable, I was going to say contestants, uh, the roundtable pundits this morning, do we need to do anything? Because, for example, when we were celebrating the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, the federal government offered up $5,000 in individual grants to various communities if they wanted to throw a street party. And I would offer that in many cases, that was a street party that was going to happen no matter what. So then somebody would say, hey, we were going to serve up hot dogs and donuts and dance in the streets. And, you know, we were just going to pass the hat and collect some money. But, oh, wait, the feds are offering a $5,000 grant. Okay, let's, let's apply for that. So I've been quite categorical in my views on the monarchy. I'm not like Jerry. I'm not some sort of, I'm not going to man the barricades and declare that the monarchy must come to an immediate end. I'm just not in anymore. And I was that way before the queen passed away. I thought the queen was an historic figure who had a thread to an incredible past and she had an incredible character as well. But now that she's off the scene and you got King Charles, to me, it's kind of like, you know, when they recast some of the players in MASH. I just don't care anymore. It's kind of like when, who was it who left Cheers? And when they replaced her. And it's like, whatever. Um, we're we're on to something new and the whole sort of, they, they've always said of royalty, you should not let light in upon the magic. And that's the problem. The magic is gone. So I, I know some of the monarchists are going to be all beside themselves this morning. And you can always text me at 71010 to complain about why I'm being so mean about his royal majesty. NBC News Radio National Correspondent Aaron Real is here. And this morning to talk about the latest list of the most dangerous jobs. Aaron, good to have you. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, the list is growing. And, and frankly, if you work kind of outdoors with big equipment, yes, those are dangerous. That, that, that's the big takeaway if you're just looking at jobs. But there's nearly 5,200 people that died from injuries that they suffered on the job in 2021. And that's more than 2020. This is when the COVID-19 shutdowns and layoffs kept so many people away from the workplace and a bit less than the year before the pandemic. But it's a lot of people that, you know, lose their lives on the job and, and workplace injuries. But the good news here is that they have been on the decline over the decades. This is as many industries, they adopt new safety precautions. They provide more training. But you want to hear the top five? Yeah. Most dangerous? 
Number one, tree trimmers or pruners. The profession's fatality rate, it's 21 times higher than the typical American job. And the most common type of injury comes from falls, which is not surprising, but you eat falls, falling tree limbs, accidents involving equipment like saws. Yep. Second one, commercial pilots. So these are not folks that fly for major airlines. No one needs to get scared, but folks that navigate planes or helicopters that carry cargo and also uh, less common and less, ha less hazardous roles, uh, air tours, navigating air ambulances, but nearly all deaths from this were caused from major catastrophic crashes, not surprising, followed by farm and ranch animal workers. They tend to big livestock, small um, and, and big, but that's the third highest rate of death, 15 times higher than the typical job. Logging workers, not surprising. Um, these are 13 times higher as well. This is contact with equipment, falling objects. That's the main reason. And then roofers rounds out the top five the fatality is almost 10 times higher. But sadly, a lot of this injury is preventable in this particular industry. Um, if you just wear a proper safety harness, the probability of injury goes down substantially. But so many people do not wear that. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you about the other professions, uh, Aaron, and that is how many of these deaths might have been preventable? You know, year to year, could we find ways to lower the damage? It's a good question. What we do know is that every year it gets t it, it, it gets safer. And that's because, sadly, we learn from our mistakes. So is someone's life created safety precautions moving forward? And that, that's a sad reality, but it's generally what tends to happen. So the good news is, while these were wildly dangerous, you know, a hundred years ago, many of them, and not all the machinery was around hundred years ago, so that omits those ones. But, but roofing, you know, people still had roofs hundreds of years ago, and and fell off of them frequently. And and the more safety precautions we get, the safer they become, and the more desirable they become in terms of profession because they do pay quite a lot. Anything that's quite dangerous. Also, you have uh, sailors and, and marine oilers. That is a very dangerous job as well, but pays quite well. Um, first line supervisors for landscaping, lawn service, grounds work, those also can pay quite well. And that that's the 12th most dangerous job. So generally, it goes with anything that's big equipment, and outdoors tends to hit, make the list of what's dangerous in terms of profession. Thanks a lot for this. Wonderful to have you so early in the morning. Thank you. NBC News Radio National Correspondent Aaron Rael. And those figures don't come as that much of a surprise to me because whenever we have a situation where, for example, a police officer is killed in the line of duty, I will get this endless series of texts saying, you know that it's more dangerous to be a fisherman. You know it's more dangerous to be a tree trimmer. And you're absolutely right. But they are fundamentally different professions as well. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.